Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Jesus tells this story about the prodigal son. It's not a parable, it's a story. But Jesus does not start with the boy. He does not start there. He starts with the father. The focus is on the father. He started by saying there was a father. And when Jesus said that, that when the boy returned home, the father ran to him You have to understand, you must transform your mind to the point of understanding the audience to whom Jesus was speaking. Because even today, if I said the father run, well, a lot of fathers run. But to his audience, to whom he was speaking at the time, this was the most shocking thing they have ever heard. This is the most horrifying thought. This is an astounding thing that has never been done. Why? Because running is for the servants. Running is for the slaves. Running is for the despised people. Running is for scared people. Running is not for a dignified older man. Never, never, never you would see that in the Middle East, particularly in the time of Jesus. Those who were listening to Jesus tell the story were astounded because the Bible speaking of God humiliating Himself in the Son, taking the form of a servant, die on a criminal cross, yet He's perfect in every way, then rises again so that every person who repents of their sins find God runs in the cross. God ran. God ran. There is no doubt that this boy was cocky. He was rebellious. This boy was the epitome of arrogance. He was selfish and self-centered, and he couldn't care less about how his parents viewed him. He was thoughtless. He was indifferent toward his father. But, beloved, let me tell you something. That's exactly what every one of us were, spiritually speaking, before we came to God. That's how each of us were. But it was the Father in Christ who died on the cross who's the focus of the story. You can almost hear this boy's pompous attitude when he said to his father, give me what is mine. Again, you've got to understand in the context of the Middle East of that time that if a boy would do that to his father, he would get the back of the hand and be told, what's yours? you got nothing. Get out of here. But that's not what the father does. Now, I know most teenagers, not all of them, but most teenagers think that their parents don't understand them. I know that. They think that their parents don't know anything. You say, well, how do you know that? You see, I was a rebellious teenager. When I came to Christ, the whole town knew it. (laughs) I read a, a sign many years ago that I have never forgotten. It says, attention, teenagers. 
Are you tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job. Pay all of your bills while you still know everything. <laughs> the word parodical means extravagant. It means rebellious. And here's a word for parents. If you allow your children to live extravagant life, you are creating a parodical in your own home. If you don't set clear boundaries around them, you might be creating a parodical in your house. I know I hear some parents say, well, I want to give my kids everything I did not have. Well, if you want to create a parodical, give your kids everything. Back to the story. I mean, you can imagine the smirk on that boy's face as he was preparing to leave home. Imagine the contempt that he had for his parents. Uh, imagine his surly face when he accused his parents of being out of touch with how he feels. Imagine the bitterness about his dad's rules and his dad's principles that he was exercising in the house. So a few days later, he takes his inheritance, converts it into cash, presumably. And then he left his father's house, got into his convertible camel BMW, <laughs> burning rubber as he headed for the Big Apple. And as the boy takes off, he's leaving behind a community that he saw as an embarrassment. He left behind an older brother whom he detested. He left behind a broken-hearted father, and he burnt all his bridges. He wanted to wipe the slate clean, or at least he thought he did. I mean, he was really going to live it up in freedom, away from his parents. And at least he thought he did. And so when he gets into the big city, the Bible said he scatters his money. It's the word used for a farmer scattering seed. He, he was just spending it like we would say a drunken sailor. And he thought the money could buy him friendship. He thought that the money could buy him happiness. He thought that the money could buy him contentment. He thought that the money could buy him acceptability to the society and to the culture of that city. Beloved, I've met people who have all the money in the world, but they don't have Jesus in their life. They live empty and lonely and miserable lives. And for a short period of time, the money worked. It did. I mean, there's no doubt about it. At least you thought it worked, and it, it did for a while. Now, I want to say something to students. Sometimes you are tempted to do the wrong thing so that you may be accepted by the popular group in the school, the right group. You know what I'm talking about. Those people care nothing about you. They care nothing about you. The moment you're in trouble, they're going to drop you like a hot potato. Hear me right, please. Doing the wrong thing so that you may feel that you are an insider is a circle that you're better off not being inside of. But when the boy's money ran out, you would think, okay, I ran out of money. I better go back to my father. Not yet. Not quite yet. But the boy had some pride left in him. He was not ready to humble himself yet. Probably every time he thought of returning to his father's house, pride came in and said, 
You don't want to crawl to your father, do you? You can't bring yourself down and, and ask for forgiveness. You can't live under your brother's roof and eat your brother's food. He would enslave you. And what will the neighbors say? What would the people of the village say? They're going to point out to you and say, ah, look at the big shot. He thought he's a big shot. He thought he's going to the big city. He got religious now that he got into trouble. Some are watching and, and listening right now. Right now. You've heard the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard God's invitation to come to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard it from a spouse. You've heard it from a neighbor. You've heard it from a friend. You've heard it from a colleague. You've heard it from a preacher. You've heard it in a book. To come to the only one who can truly forgive all of your sins. The only one for whom can give you salvation. To come to the only one who can truly give you eternal life. Come back to the only one who can truly give you peace and joy and contentment in life. Ah, but you're postponing. Not today. Not now. You're putting it off. You're hearing another voice coming in. Every time there's an invitation, the Lord's Holy Spirit speak to you, there's always another voice. There's always another voice that will speak to you. You don't want to do that, do you? You still have some living to do. You, there are some fun to be had. There's still some wild oats to be sown. There are still some things that you need to accomplish. Maybe one day when you're old and decrepit, maybe one day when you get really desperate, you can come to God. Maybe one day, one day, one day, and that day may never come. And you miss out. Not only on eternal life with Christ, but yes, you miss out on real living. Real living. To make things worse, where the boy was in that city, there was a famine. Drought. There was an economic depression. An economic depression hit. <laughs> Our generation have never known a depression. Have, have, have just never experienced that. We, do, we don't know what that's like. We've never experienced a famine. We, we don't know what that is. Some of us went without uh, voluntarily or involuntarily in some circumstances, but we don't know what a famine is. And that's why I'm convinced that the one thing, the number one thing that keeps people from coming to Christ and accepting His free gift of salvation and eternal life is pride. Pride. Pride in your religion, pride in your philosophy, pride in your way of life, pride in this and pride in that is keeping you from coming and humbling yourself and receiving salvation from the only one who can give it to you. Pride will keep you in misery. Pride will steal your joy. Pride will destroy your peace of mind. Pride will keep you from heaven. Will you surrender your pride and come to Him today? What a great day would that be. Surrender your pride to the only one who can truly forgive your sins, the only one who can truly heal your wounds, the only one who empowers you, all of your weaknesses, the only one who can give you victory in all of your defeats. Luke 15, 15 said that the prodigal decided to come up with some novel, marvelous new idea nobody ever thought about before. Get a job. Imagine a Jewish boy in a Gentile land trying to get a job in times of economic depression. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine he's this Jewish boy stuck in a land that's famine trying to get a job. Well, banks are not hiring presidents at that time. 
Companies are not hiring CEOs. The only job that a Jewish boy can find was the most repulsive job for a Jew. It's the most repulsive. You would have to be absolutely in desperation to take a job like that. For a Jew, feeding the pigs is truly the bottom of the bottom. But the truth is, the bottom is where everyone who rebels against God's invitation is going to end up. It's a bottomless pit, not only in this life, but for eternity. Pigs back then ate garbage. They really did. They lived on garbage. But in times of economic depression, there was a shortage of garbage because people are eating the garbage. And so pigs were eating some dry pods. And the parodical was in such dire straits that the pig's food looked so good, but he couldn't get it. He couldn't find it. And beloved, listen to me. Spiritually speaking, some of you may be at the rock bottom right now. Rock bottom of your addiction. Rock bottom of your indulgence. Rock bottom of your morals. Rock bottom of your emptiness and loneliness. Rock bottom of your misplaced priorities in life. For this prodigal, the pigs were better off than he was. Imagine the utter despair. Imagine the complete hopelessness. Imagine the helplessness of this young man. Imagine the confusion. What will he do? How could he go back to his father? How could he swallow his pride after what he said about his father? Denying of God, denying the sovereign, denying everything about the Father in heaven. How could he humble himself? How could he return to a loving father? And my friend, this may be happening to some of you here today. Your pride is holding you back. No doubt every time you hear the Lord's invitation and you hear the Lord's voice, I love you, come to me. Every time you hear the voice of the Lord, for you to come to him who truly loves you, to come to him, the only one who can truly forgive you, the only one who died for you, to come to the only one who can take you to heaven. The devil gives you a hundred excuses as why you shouldn't. Every time. You don't want to do that, do you? You want to become one of those Christians. I mean, you laughed at them, you mocked them, you even made fun of their God. You're not going to be one of them, are you? The devil is going to come to you and he says, you you know, you don't want to be one of those people, do you? You don't want to be restricted and restrained in life. You want to lose your freedom to do whatever you want to do. You don't want to give up the pleasures of life, do you? And on and on and on. How do I know that? Because I was there. Then finally, Jesus said, the young man comes to his senses. And the word, the Aramaic word that Jesus uses means repentance. He really came to a genuine repentance. And so he begins to write a speech. You know, when you have a, an important interview or something that you, you know, you're trying to rehearse or trying to propose to the love of your life, and, and you're trying to write a speech in your head, and, and, and you go, well, I say this, and I say this, and I say this, and then, no, 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 I better say this, and I better say this. I'm sure that's exactly what's going on through the boy's mind. He's writing a speech. When I see my father, I say this and this and this. No, 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 that might not work. I think I'm going to say this and this and this and this. So he's writing his speech. 
Listen, I know there are people who think that there is a certain formula when you come to Jesus, they have to use certain words. Or there's a specific prayer that you have to use somehow. It's got to be this and it's got to be that. Let me tell you something. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept his invitation of the one who died on the cross for you, not many words are really necessary. Father, forgive me. I repent of my sins. That's good enough. And so this parodical realizes that he was not worthy. He was not worthy of his father's forgiveness. He was not just sorry that he wasted money and wasted life. He was not just remorseful over his condition. He was not just sorry that things did not work out the way he really hoped that they work out. He was not just sorry that his plans failed. He was not just merely coming for more money. No, no, no. He was coming with deep repentance. Genuine repentance. Listen, I've met many people through the years who are remorseful, but not repentant. There's a world of difference between the two. This parodical was repentant. He grieved over hurting the heart of the Father. He grieved over bringing shame to his Father. He was no longer arrogant. He was no longer cocky. He was no longer prideful of his foolishness. He thought of himself not worthy even to be in his father's household. He was asking to live in the servants' quarters. He wanted to be one of the servants. He wanted to make up for what he had messed up. He wanted to pay his debt. He hoped for a servant-master relationship with his father. But, beloved, the good news is when you come to Jesus Christ, you're not going to have a slave-master relationship with God. You're going to have a father-son-father-daughter relationship with God. That's the good news of the gospel. You see, when this boy left home, he says, give me. But when he came back, he said, make me. There is a world of difference between give me. And make me. A world of difference between those two attitudes. One is the heart of arrogance. The other is the heart of contrition. He left home a son, came back willing to be a slave. He got what he wanted and lost what he had. Now he's ready for whatever he can get. Let me ask you this. Spiritually speaking, are you in that far country? Are you so wandered so far off? But are you tired of that far country? Are you tired of sin and guilt? Are you tired of the treadmill? Are you tired of constant failures and trying and trying to do it on your own today? You can come to the Heavenly Father. You can accept His invitation. He's waiting for you. He's longing for you to come back to Him. See, when the prodigal left home, he called it independence. When he was living in sin, he called it pleasure. When he lost his money, he probably called it bad luck. Ah, but when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he called it sin. He called it sin, missing the mark. 
The Bible said sin is fun for a short period of time. It is. In fact, Hebrews 11.25 said, There is pleasure in sin for a season. For a season. Sin is fun until your body is riddled with the consequences. Sin is fun until your liver is ravished. Sin is fun until your brain is fried. Sin is fun until you feel the deep scars that is impossible to remove. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, the prodigal came to himself. Why? Why did he come to himself? Listen carefully. Because sin blinds us. Sin causes us stupor and foolishness. And so, my friend, I want to conclude with what I began. When the boy repented and returned home, the father stripped himself of his dignity by running. The father expressed humiliation by running. The father gave up his splendor by running. And this is a picture. This is the whole gospel. This is the Christian faith in a nutshell. The picture here that Jesus is giving it is that God the Father was reconciling us to Himself through the cross of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible said Jesus humbled Himself, taking on the form of a servant. He could have come with power. He could have come. He could have intimidated us. He could overpower us. He could overwhelm us. He took a form of a servant. So that whomsoever, whomsoever would come to him in repentance and in faith will find forgiveness and eternal life. That is why when the repentant boy came back and started making his speech, remember he's preparing it, he's been writing it in his head, when I see the Father, I say this, when I see the Father, I say this, and I say this. So he comes back and he begins his speech. After the first sentence, the father stops him. Just got the first sentence out. And the father stopped. Why? Why not let him finish his speech? The father heard exactly what he needed to hear, and that's enough. What about the rest of the speech? It was not necessary. Repentant sinners cannot be slaves to God. The apostle Paul, Jude, the brother of Jesus, I know I'm for one. I am honored to call myself a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. But that's what we call ourselves. God calls us son. He calls us daughter. That's how he sees you when you come to him in genuine repentance. That's how he sees you. Can you feel the grace of God? Can you, can you comprehend that grace? The grace. It's indescribable. It's inexplainable. And when you come to Him, He will treat you as if nothing happened. When you come to Him, He will treat you as if you have never sinned. Oh, but Father, what about the past? What past? What past? Oh, but Father, what about the mess that I'm... What mess? What mess? It's all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Amen. Amen. When the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more when we repent, 
It does not mean somehow God is going to get a form of amnesia and that he's just not going to remember. Now, when the Bible says that he remembers our sins no more when we repent, the Bible is saying that he will not hold our sins against us anymore, especially on the day of judgment. He will remember our sins no more. He will not hold them against us. But before I conclude, I want to say something else that's very important. Some of you who probably brought up of thinking that you've got to try harder, you've got to work at it, you've got to do this, and you've got to do the other thing, and you've got to improve yourself before you can even come to God. Listen to me. This boy did not stop out in one of those public bathhouses outside of those villages, got himself all cleaned up, washed up, spiffed up, dressed up, shaved, put some cologne, so that the Father can accept him. No, 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 no. He came just as he was. Just as he was. All he needed to do is to come with a heart of repentance. And it's only a repentant heart that God is looking for. He's going to do the rest. He's going to do the rest. He's the one who did the washing. He's the one who did the cleaning. He's the one who dressed him up, put on his robe of righteousness because all of our robes like dirty rag in front of God. Only that robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ can really, really forgive us and makes us sons and daughters. Like the old song goes, just as I am without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come. 